Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Hi, I'm uh, Carson Minish. I work here at Gateway Community Church. Um, my family and myself have been coming here for almost 25 years, and so this church uh, means a lot to myself and my family, and that's why it's such a privilege uh, for me to be up here today to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, we've been studying uh, Abraham and his life, and we've been looking at all these different events that he's gone through, but today we're going to be looking at an event that is quite different than the ones that we've looked at before. And when we look at this event, we're going to be focusing on two very specific things. And the first is we're going to see that Abraham loves a group of people that really maybe aren't that easy to love, but we're going to specifically look at why he chooses to love them. And then secondly, we're going to see how God can be just and righteous, but at the same time show that he is loving and merciful as well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of talk us through a bit of Genesis chapter 18, where we're going to be today. I'm going to talk us till we get to a certain point, and then we're going to kind of spend some time there. So if you have your Bibles, you could open to Genesis 18, and I'll just kind of talk us through a little bit of it. So when you open chapter 18, you see that three strangers have appeared. Uh, Abraham sees them, he invites them into his tent, and he prepares a lavish meal for them. It is only once he has spent some time with these strangers that he realizes that maybe there's something different about them. And then he realizes that two of them are angels, and then God himself is the third. And God has come to speak with Abraham for two reasons. The first reason is to remind Abraham of the promise that God made all those years ago that Abraham would have a great nation and a great land. But to have a great nation, you must have descendants, and Abraham and his wife have yet to have a child. And so God also is there to tell them, by this time next year, you and your wife shall have a child. Abraham takes this to heart, but Sarah, his wife, says, laugh to herself. And she thought, we're too old. We can't have kids anymore. We're beyond the childbearing age. The, the promise was nice all those years ago when it could have happened, but we just physically, it can't happen anymore. And God is there to remind them that physical limitations do not affect me. What I will happens and what I desire occurs. So God rebukes Sarah and then he leaves the tent. And when he leaves the tent, we would think, okay, this must be the end of this part of the story. But we're going to see that God has one more thing to do with Abraham. And while it's quite different than what he said to Abraham first, we'll see that it's equally important. And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. And so I'm going to read from verse 16, and this is what it says. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, 
so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Okay, so what's happening? We see that um, God leaves the tent, but instead of leaving all the way, he seems to stop. And then he seems to talk in a very weird manner. It almost seems like he's saying his thoughts out loud. He says, shall I tell Abraham what we're about to do? And Abraham's right next to him. And then he goes on and he says all of these great things that Abraham will do through the promise and all the things that God has said will occur. And then lastly, he talks about this city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says that it is wicked and that its sin is exceedingly grave. And that the outcry, if true, he's going to have to destroy them. And so when we read all that, we think maybe, you know, this is a pretty good question. Why is God talking that way? Why is he saying, it sounds like he's almost talking to himself. And while that may be an interesting question, I don't think it's the one that's important. I think the question that is important is why does God care if Abraham knows what he's going to do? What, why does God care at all? I mean, why does God feel like Abraham needs to know? Does God need Abraham's knowledge? No. Does God need Abraham's wisdom? No. Does God need Abraham's opinion? No, he is self-sufficient. So why does he feel like he has to tell Abraham this or that he needs to tell Abraham this? And I think it's because God is showing Abraham something. Something that God showed Abraham when he first made the promise to him all of those years ago that he would have a great nation and a great land. The same thing that he showed Abraham when he renewed the promise time and time again. And it's the same thing he's showing Abraham right now in that moment. And that is that God seeks to have an intimate relationship with him. That God is showing Abraham that even though I don't have to tell you what I'm doing, that even though I don't need your wisdom, knowledge, or opinion, that I still let you know what I'm doing. And I think what also is going on here is in Isaiah, it says that Abraham was God's friend, or he's a friend of God. I think what God is doing is he's exemplifying what it says in John chapter 15, verse 15, where it says, and a man lets his friend know his plans. And that's exactly what God is doing, is showing Abraham, I desire this intimate relationship with you. And so Abraham um, is going to respond. But before we get to his response, there's something nestled in, in verse 19 of this chapter that we need to pay close attention to. Because in verse 19, it says, to keep the ways of the Lord by doing. So you keep the ways of the Lord by doing what? And then it tells us, by doing righteousness and justice. And those two words, righteousness and justice, are what God and Abraham are now going to discuss. And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 18, verse 22. And in verse 22, this is what it says. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. While Abraham was uh, still standing before the Lord, Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep, 
Sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So Abraham says, look, okay, Sodom and Gomorrah, bad place. They're very wicked. They're terrible. I understand that it deserves to be destroyed. But what about the righteous that are in the city? Is that the type of God you are? That you wipe away the righteous with the unrighteous? Is that who you are? And besides saying that to God, which already is pretty bold to say that to God himself, he then goes further and says, let's strike a deal. If there's 50 righteous Will you save the city? And you would expect, maybe God's answer would be something to the extent of, are you trying to tell me about justice and righteousness? Are you trying to tell me that I don't know who's in the city? Are you trying to tell me that you're, that you're telling me something new? You're trying to strike deals with me? And maybe he would say, I don't have time for this. Or condone Abraham. Or, or go over and say, you know what, I'm not doing this, and just not speak to him, or just leave. But instead, God gives a quite different answer. And it is very simple. He listens. He listens to what Abraham said. He listens, he's patient with him, and he wants to hear what he has to say because God is showing him again that I want an intimate relationship with you, that you can come to me and bring your burdens in I will listen. And we can have that same relationship with him today. Or we can come to him. Or we can give him our cares and our worries and our praises and whatever it is and lay it at his feet. And that he is good to listen to us and to hear from us and then to act accordingly. Abraham, God gives his answer to Abraham after this. And the answer that he gives to Abraham is this. If there are 50 righteous, I will save the city. If there's 50 righteous, I'll save the city. But Abraham's not done. He says, what if they're lacking five, Lord? What if there's only 45? Will you save the city for the sake of 45? And God says, if there's 45, I'll save the city. He says, what if there's 40, Lord? He says, if there are 40, I will save the city. And he says, what about 30, 20, 10? He's like, if there are 10 righteous, I will save the city. And then Abraham and God part ways. It's abrupt. It's just, that's it. And they leave. And while it's good to see that God says that he'll save the city if there's 10 righteous, there's a question that still lingers. What if there aren't 10 righteous what if there's only three or four righteous? What will God do then? Will he still destroy the city if there aren't 10 righteous? And when you turn to chapter 19, we receive the answer. And that is that God has sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah and that they go to Lot, who is Abraham's relative, and who in 2 Peter chapter 2 says that Lot was righteous. And the angels go to him and they tell him, you and your family must flee from this place for the anger of the Lord is about to destroy it. 
And so they flee and they run. And once they get out of the city and once they've made it safe, God destroys the city. And so we see that God destroys the city. We see that God is just and that he is righteous. But in the same moment, we also see that he gives his mercy and his love to those who are righteous. But, you know, this story isn't about Lot. You know, this whole study we're doing is supposed to be about Abraham. So the question I comes to my mind when I was saying this is, why did Abraham do it? Why, why did Abraham want the righteous people of Sodom to be saved so bad that he would plead with God over and over and over? Well, Lot was there, and Abraham and Lot were relatives. Maybe that's why, but besides him being just a relative, maybe, maybe there was more. Maybe Lot had done all these great things for Abraham, and so Abraham owed it to Lot. He felt like he owed him. Maybe Lot had made Abraham's life so easy. Maybe he had done all these things for Abraham, and Abraham knew, I got to take care of this guy. Well, it's very easy to see why Abraham did it. We just have to look at their life together. One of the first times that we see Lot and Abraham together is that they are living together, but eventually they have so many belongings. They have so many cattle and herds that the land cannot sustain them anymore. And so Abraham says that we need to separate. He wants to keep peace, and he doesn't want them to fight, so he says, let us separate. And look at all the land, Lot, and you could choose any land you want, and I'll go somewhere else. Now, this is a big deal for Abraham to say this, because first of all, Abraham's older than Lot. He's senior. He should have first choice. But even beyond that, God made a promise to Abraham that he would have a great nation and a great land. This land that he promised him is the land that lays before them. And so Abraham wants to keep peace so bad that he is willing to give equal claim to someone that doesn't have equal right. So you would think, okay, then Lot will respond by being reluctant. No, 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 you should have first choice. No, this is your land. No, uh, this doesn't, no, no, you go first. Or you know what, I'll choose a lesser land so he can choose the best. He does none of those. In the Bible, it says that he looked, he saw, and he took. And he took the best land that there was. And it may have looked nice, but he just made one of the biggest mistakes of his entire life. Because it says that the land that he chose, while plentiful and good, was next to a place called Sodom. We see that Lot moves there to Sodom. And we see that these kings come together, and Brandon talked about this a few weeks ago, and we see these kings come together and create a great army. They sweep through their land and they capture Lot and all these other people. And when Abraham hears about it, he doesn't say, well, that's too bad for Lot. He shouldn't have chosen that place. Or he got himself into this mess. Or there's no way that we can help him. We're just too few. The first words out of Abraham's mouth is, let's go get him. He musters his men. He goes forth. Abraham already gave Lot his land. But now he would be risking so much more. 
because the stakes could not be higher. Not only would he be, you know, he wouldn't just be risking his pride. Abraham would be risking his life, the lives of all his men. And he would be leaving all the people he left behind vulnerable to attack. But Abraham does it. And he goes with the Lord and they succeed and they rescue Lot and all these other people. And how does Lot repay him? Lot repays him going back to the city that he should have never been in in the first place. Abraham gave him first choice to keep peace and Lot grabbed whatever he could. Lot was captured and put in prison with all these other people and Abraham risked his life and the lives of all his men to save Lot. And then Lot, to be repay him, decides, you know what, I'm going to go back there. And now because he went back there, Abraham has to plead with the Lord again and again and again to save him. So why is Lot, why does Abraham want Lot saved so bad? Because Lot deserves it? No. Because Lot made Abraham's life so easy. I don't think so. Then why did Abraham do it? I think it's because Abraham knew. He had made mistakes in his life over and over and over. And every time that he made a mistake, God said, I'm still here. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still here for you. It was again God showing that I want intimacy with you. That I show my love to you, not because you deserve it, but because I am good. In the same way, we are called to love people. Just as Abraham expressed that love that God gave him to Lot, we're supposed to love people today in the same way. Not because it's always easy. Not because it may be your favorite thing to do that day. But we are called to love people because it's said that God first loved us. That yet while we were still sinners, God loved us. And that he sent his son Christ to die for us. That's why we love other people. It's because of all the things that God has done for us. But you may think, you know what, this is a great, you know, I, I love that we're hearing about God's love. Awesome. But out of all the stories you could have chose, you chose for one, God destroys entire cities. This is the story you want to choose to teach us about God's love? Out of all of them, you choose this one. This is the one that you think, okay, if I'm going to teach about God's love, this is the one I'm going to choose on. This is it. You better believe it. Because we learned something of great importance in this story. And that is, even when God is destroying entire cities, even when he is wiping out all these wicked people that deserve it, but even in that, even with all his righteousness and justice, we also see his love and his mercy in the way that he saves Lot and that he saves his family. It's true that God is just, but he is also merciful. It is true that God is righteous, but he is also loving. 
You know, God has many names, many titles. He's called an all-consuming fire. He's called the, rulers, uh, the ruler of the king, uh, kings of the earth. He's called the judge of the living and the dead. And in Exodus 34, it says, And the Lord proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, gracious, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who forgives iniquities and transgressions and sins, yet will not let the guilty go unpunished, passing on the iniquity of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Passed on the iniquity to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. It says that. But at the same time, what does it say about those who love him? And he will pass on his blessings to the what generation? Third? Fourth? No, it says he will pass on his blessings to a thousand generations of those who love him. Not three, not four, a thousand. But what do those blessings look like? What are those promises that God makes to those who love him? In Psalms 103, it tells us but a few. And in Psalms 103, this is what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Here's what they are. Who pardons all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed, who made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor awarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. It is true. He is called the judge of the living and the dead, but he is also called my cup and my portion, and my deliverer. It's true. God is just, but he is also righteous. He is in righteous, and he is also loving and merciful, but he's not how a lot of us make him out to be. You can't say, I want you to be just with those people and righteous with me. You can't say, God, I want you to be just tomorrow and righteous today. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to tell God who he is or what to do. He's not a pet. He's the lion of Judah. He does what he wills. 
when he wills it, and all bow to him. If you're going to take anything for what I have said, if you're going to listen to any part of it, just take this. You serve a God who is just, but he is also merciful. He is righteous, but he is also loving as well. And do not forget that that love that he shows to you is not just for you to be kept to yourself, but because he first loved us, we are called to love others in the same way. Not because it's easy. Not because you always want to. Because yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to have people down here today that would love to pray with you and spend time with you. And we're also going to have Josh over here. He does the volunteer. It'd be a great way if you wanted to know more about volunteering or what to do or how can I help with the church. He would love to just talk with you. It'd be a great opportunity, I feel like. Um, we owe him so much. And he loves us so much despite our mistakes. And who were we not to show that love to others? Let me pray. Dear God, I just thank you um, for this word that you've given us, Lord, that uh, through this word we can understand who you are, what you're about, and all that you've done for us. And I just ask uh, that we spend time in your word, that we become people of your word, and that this week that we spend time in your word every day so we can have a better understanding of who you are and be more appreciative of the love that you show us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.